You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. On today's show, we will talk about some games played, followed by some games that we're looking forward to. Our topic today is what motivates you to play board games, and our top three will be filler games. Today is episode 19, and we are your hosts. I'm Brandon. I'm Christo. I'm Justine. And once again, we are recording remotely, so please forgive us for any quality drops in our podcasts. And speaking of this situation, I finally pulled the trigger on something that I've been threatening for a long time, and that is I got Marvel Crisis Protocol, which is a miniatures tabletop game. Um, I'm not leaving Euro games. I'm just, I just feel like I have a lot of time on my hands so I can like put these things together, glue them together and paint them and try something. And hopefully it's not a hundred dollar mistake. I'm really excited to see what you come up with. I really liked the painting you did on Wasteland Express. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm definitely excited to paint them. Um, I mean, I'm actually excited to play. I've just, I've never played a true miniatures game before. Yeah. Do you play it on the table at home? Like, do you have a mat? Does it come with a mat? Or do you just kind of cordon off an area and that's kind of your play area? Because I think they come with play areas, right? Like three by three or four by four or whatever. Yeah, so there is no mat. It, it They come with terrain. It comes with a building like the Daily Bugle. And it comes with um, like a couple of cars and some terrain that you can throw because you could throw terrain in this. And so you just have to work with your table. I haven't read the rules yet. It literally just like got to my doorstep uh, today, like right before we did this recording. So I haven't even opened it up. Um, so I don't know like the specifications of like, or if it's, um, you know, if, if you can have a bigger open area or smaller, I don't know if it's up to you or if it, you have to like map it out. I'm not sure yet. Yeah, does it have a collectible uh, element to it? Like, are they going to keep coming out with units and stuff like they do for all the other miniatures? It absolutely does, and they've already released a ton of stuff for it. It comes with 10 characters to start with, like some popular ones, villains and heroes. And in this game, you can mix villains and heroes on one team, which is kind of weird. Um <laughs> And then you could buy just like individual heroes. Although some heroes come like doubled up. Like you could get Killmonger and Black Panther in one box. And they're like 20 bucks, so they're not that bad. I don't know how much I'm going to go into it. I just, um, being a gamer, I just want to try this because I've never tried an actual miniatures game. And this is supposedly like really like watered down rules. So it's not highly complicated. Because if it was, I probably would never have bought it because I don't want to spend a lot of time learning this like huge system. So it's basically yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. a miniatures game for noobs. So it's like perfect for me trying this out. Nice. Well, maybe uh, we'll see you when you start playing X-Wing in six months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I jumped into that, uh, that LCG and I'm definitely not disappearing yet from because of that and i don't think it'll happen here um i'll talk about it once i play it but i think it's gonna be a while because i have to like cut them out and glue them so uh we'll see i'm excited about the hobby aspect of this you know the whole like gluing them together and and painting it like brings out the artistic side in me 
Um, so like, I'm probably going to take my time getting it to the table. Yeah, I'm just joking. I don't think you're going to be disappearing. I think it's a good idea to like try out stuff, actually. I think it's really cool because uh, playing the same type of game kind of gets stale for me as well. So I like variety, and that's kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also, I like I, I just like my collection be having like every aspect of tabletop gaming, right? So if, if I meet somebody that's curious about a type of like a subgenre, of our hobby i could i could show them it you know yep uh but anyway yeah uh cool we have a lot of time on our hands so i'm trying to use it towards gaming um speaking of gaming we've played some games recently that we'll talk about right now um so i played coal baron the board game and coal baron the card game now they're both worker placement games uh one uses cards as workers and the other actual little uh workers and i just want to kind of talk about the comparison between the two because i've played a lot of card game versions of board games like for instance castles of burgundy the card game i don't think needs to exist i think it's just like really similar to the board game but the board game's way better in this case cole baron the board game you're playing workers out and very much like Manhattan Project, if you want to go to that spot, you have to put uh, one, at least one more. But in this game, you have to put exact numbers down. So it doesn't have that trolley aspect of I could throw down five workers on one spot and block a bunch of people. You have to put the exact number. So I really like that about this game. In fact, I see a lot of parallels to the uh, Manhattan Project games to this one. I wonder if they grabbed a lot of inspiration from it because Cole Baron came out before because the scoring is a little bit similar to Minutes to Midnight where... You have one round in Coal Baron where you score um, one type of thing. And then in round two, you score that same type of thing and then another. And then on the, the third round, you score everything. So that's very similar. It, they they changed it in a lot in um, the uh, Minutes to Midnight. But uh, th there feels like a lot of borrowed ideas. And, and, um, and I think they gained a lot of inspiration from Coal Baron. But you're, you're mining coal out, and in the board game, you have a shaft that you're moving up and down throughout these, like, tunnels, and you're building tunnels onto those with, like, they call them lorries, I believe, and those are what's giving you, like, these cubes, and the cubes in the, in the, uh, the tunnels closer to the surface are, like, yellow, then they go brown, then gray, then black, and that's saying the quality of the, the coals. And then you have contracts that you're trying to fulfill. And so you could take an action to take your move your shaft down and pick up these coals and deliver them to the contracts. But you only have a certain amount of actions within that. So you can go to the there's different spots that have like, I think it's four, six, eight and ten. I played the two player version. So it was only six and ten actions that you can take using your shaft and pulling this this coal out and you're fulfilling contracts. And then these contracts have transportation icons on them. Like it'll have like a train or like a horse and uh, cart. And you can go to one of those spots that match the transportation. And if you have multiple of that transportation on those contracts fulfilled, then you can fulfill several contracts with one action. 
The card game has something similar, but you're building out a train with these lorries on there and delivering contracts based on how many lorries. And if they're the same train type, then you can deliver several in the same go. I like both these games a lot. And I think that the card game should exist like it, other card games shouldn't. This definitely should because it feels different enough. There's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of things that are familiar about each other, but the scoring is so different from, from one to the other that that in itself makes it feel very different. But I would say as a two-player game, Cole Baron definitely wants more players because it's majority in different things. And in the card game, it's just you're scoring kind of individually. It's almost this little solo game that's happening with scoring in yourself. So the card game works way better with two. In fact, I prefer it with two. And Cole Baron, the board game, I definitely need to play with more players, but I'm looking forward to it. They're both by Kiesling and Kramer, and I would suggest both of them. That's Cole Baron, the board game, and Cole Baron, the card game. Nice. Uh, the Cole Baron, the board game, is the contract for fulfillment based on quality of coal or something is it like collecting a recipe of coal qualities or something like yes that's exactly how it works you'll have like you'll have like a yellow a gray a black and a black and that's one contract and you have to get yeah. those cubes on the contract yeah that no, sounds cool actually i haven't played the board game i was really interested i remember the elevator in the middle there's an elevator in the middle right there's an I elevator in the middle that aspect yes yeah and that's that's the only thing i remember <laughs> from like the the graphics on the board uh i played the card game actually and i actually really liked it i think um it's got a lot more to do with timing the only thing i didn't like was uh basically we got some rules wrong and uh that like artificially shortened the game and like the, it was like kind of infuriating at the time because the, the larger aspect of the game is like creating this long train if i remember correctly and like cashing it out just before the game is over because if the game's over and you haven't like completed your train or whatever if i remember um it's completely worthless so it's like a huge swing of points if you get the end of the game wrong basically is what i remember about that game but the aspect of placing workers was kind of interesting i think i think it was like uh, you have to place a higher number or a specific number like you say and the workers are like cards so it's like a card game with worker placement is kind of weird yeah yeah the the cards have like one like a one worker and then two worker three worker yeah. so you have to there's the hand management aspect to the worker placement and i'll take full credit i messed up on the rules um, there's round tokens that are in, and I put in too much for our game. Now, I would I was ran out of cards if I remember correctly. Yeah, we ran really out of bad. cards. Um, because so, like in another Keesling and Kramer game, like uh, no, just Keesling. Sorry, um, Heaven and Ale. You when you're playing a four player game, you play all the rounds, right? In a two player game, you play less. In this, it's reversed, so you play less rounds in a in a multiple player game. And so I yeah, put in yeah. all the round tokens. So we started running out of cards and we're like, this game's broken. What's going on? <laughs> so I played it the right way. And it's definitely, you're right. It messed up the entire game because it is a very timing aspect. And if you can't get certain things because they don't exist, it breaks the whole game. The shaft in the middle of the board game is kind of funny because it's like, okay, so the elevator shaft, you can take out of the player Board. like it's detachable and i was like why that's completely useless you don't flip it around or anything yeah, yeah and yeah. i'm like and it doesn't fit quite well because it like pops up a little bit and i'm like this is horrible 
and my wife figured it out she pressed it down and it gives this that little groove so that your elevator shaft can like move on it like a track and i was like oh my gosh that's genius yeah, yeah, and yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not i'm an idiot yeah <laughs> <laughs> no that's pretty cool actually um anyway uh game that i've, I've actually played um some solo games uh, the last couple of weeks I've been playing on Tabletop Simulator as well, but we played some games that I feel like are kind of not worth mentioning, so I just decided to talk about um, a couple of solo games this time. Um, one game, which I've actually wanted to play for a while, uh, was Friday. Friday is by Friedman Freeze. The theme is uh, your Robinson Crusoe, I think, or whatever. You're stuck on an island, um, and there's pirates, and you're basically trying to get stronger to fight the pirates. That's the theme of the game. Um, it's got his weird like sense of humor thing that he has going on. He has like this kind of really kind of strange sense of humor where um, there's a mechanic where Robinson Crusoe or whatever, he gets like uh, older uh, and he gets these like disabilities and they're just like really strange. Like one of them is like, you're stupid. And like the cards, the card shows you as like doing some stupid thing or something. I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of cheesy and funny. Um, it actually reminded me of another game. I played uh, another solo game that I've previously played called super hot, the card game. Um, kind of a very similar uh, deck building game, uh, which in itself is a remake of Agent Decker, I think it's called. Uh, Agent Decker, like deck of cards. Get it? It's funny. <laughs> but um, anyway, Friday is actually kind of really cool until you figure it out. And that's unfortunately how I feel about a lot of single player games is like, it's really fascinating to discover the game and once you've kind of discovered how the system works and you've kind of mastered the system it's like you fighting against maybe just luck now and just mm -hmm. kind of the way things come out um it is really cool though uh basically what 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 the game is is like it's kind of pure deck building but the the cards have powers on them so they you can activate some, some powers as you uh, play cards out so you kind of play out your hands in a weird way there's also like kind of a push your luck aspect to it it's kind of hard to explain actually they're basically you are faced with a challenge something like wild animals or cannibals or something and it has a difficulty number and you have to reach that difficulty number by showing at most whatever cards are pictured on the challenge but then you can add more using uh, these like health tokens basically kind of exert yourself in a way and try to pass the challenge and if you pass the challenge that's the deck building aspect is you get it as a card in your deck so it's like you flip it over and it becomes like a positive thing so if you beat the cannibals you now have a weapon or something which is like a better card in your deck and as you reshuffle that's how you get old and get these like stupid cards that are like negative points so there's an aspect of like a lack of I could pull a card that I need or like a minus three or something and like really um I did have a lot of fun playing it, though, um, nevertheless. But like I say, I think it's kind of lost its shine a little bit since I kind of figured out how to play it. Um, 
so that's Friday by Friedman Freeze. I've wanted to play this game for a while. It's only a solo game, by the way. There's not even a variant with for two players. Uh, side note: Super Hot the Card Game is a solo game, but it has a really strange like two-player variant, and it even has like a two-player versus variant where some someone can like control the bad things that are happening to you, so try to like make you lose the game, basically. But Friday is only single-player. Player. Yeah, I've been wanting to try Friday for a while. I, I've I have almost bought it several times and uh, just didn't. But yeah, it yeah, it, cool. it's a little lonely and, like I say, a lot more fun before you actually figure out the game, and then it's kind of like luck and pop deck. So the theme fits, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um. So this week, Matt and I finally got a chance to play our variant of Terra Mystica two-player with the new Merchants of the Sea expansion, Merchants of the Seas. Um, and I have to say, I I don't know how it would go like in a regular two-player game, but I didn't love the new expansion with our variation where we're both controlling two factions. Um, I don't know. Like the, the expansion with like a regular four player game or even five player game to me adds a lot to the game. It's a lot more fun to play, I think, but when we brought it down to just the two of us playing, it kind of lost a lot of its magic. So in Merchants of the Seas, um you have boats that you're driving around the rivers on the board to try and make uh to try and make um sorry. I've lost my words, uh, new settlements. So instead of just your regular shipping track, you've got boats that you can drive around. And I don't know, it just made some aspects of the game too easy. And the boats, we just kind of didn't end up using them. So that was uh, Terra Mystica, Merchants of the Seas. Was it maybe just because you guys didn't have goals in the game, though, or you kind of just didn't care? Um, no. Because I, I think the boats like become way more attractive if there's actually a goal towards them. Um, is... No, I mean, we had two of the bonus cards, bonus tiles that emphasized boats. I guess we didn't have any of the, um, the goal tiles that emphasized boats. So maybe yeah. that might have been it. I don't know. All right, so recently I got The Crew Quest for Planet Nine, which is a cooperative trick-taking game, which uh, had me very interested. The box says three to five players, but inside the rules, there's a two-player variant. In the two-player variant, there's an AI. It's an actual AI named Jarvis. Um, in, it's kind of hard to talk about exactly how The Crew Quest for Planet Nine works because... There's 50 missions, and that's like changes the gameplay. But the basic core of the game is a regular trick-taking game. There's four suits. Um, in each suit, there's one through nine values. And when you play a card and you lead, then the others have to follow that suit if they can. If not, they could play at a suit. The highest card of the lead suit will take the trick. There is four trump suits. or I mean, sorry, not suits. There's one trump suit four cards in that one through four and if you if you're able to play the trump suit then you would trump if you played the highest trump now i'll give you a basic mission 
you have these little cards um, that are smaller than the actual cards, and they are all the cards except for the trumps. You will randomly flip out one or two or three, depending on what the mission tells you, and then you will draft them. You draft uh, depending on who's the captain and going in clockwise order. The captain is the person who has the four um, Trump suit, uh, four Trump card. And you'll draft these. What you're doing is you're putting them face up in front of you. Like, let's say I took a nine pink. Then I'm saying that I have to take that in a trick. I have to win that. And others will, will take cards and they have to win those. As the missions progress, sometimes they have numbers on them, one, two, three, four, for instance, and you have to take those tricks in that order. Um, and sometimes there's a one and a two and then some different icons that has like two slashes and one slash, and it just means that the one slash has to be taken before the two slash. And so you cannot communicate what's in your hand. However, you know that the person that has the captain has the four trump, the highest card in the game. So there's a little bit of information there. During a round, during a mission, you can communicate once with your fellow teammates by putting a card down from your hand face up. It has to meet this criteria. One, it has to be either the highest card in that suit. Two, it has to be the lowest card in the suit or it has to be the only card in the suit. And you have a little token and you will specify what your what that card is to you. So if it doesn't fall under those criteria, you cannot put that card down. But if it does, then you put it at the top for being the highest, the bottom for being the lowest, and right in the middle saying that it's your only card. This is actually really important information. And it tells, it, it you, playing that out, playing that information out at the right time could help you win the game. I really like this game a lot. I think the communication is like perfect because it's not weird. It's not like you could talk about this, but you can't talk about this. It's very simple. This is how you communicate and this is the only way you communicate. And it's the most thinky trick-taking game that I've ever played because you have to play things out perfectly right. The two-player variant, the Jarvis AI, has seven cards face down and seven cards face up on top of those face down cards. The captain will control him like he's another player. So wherever you put his cards, that's like the player order. So if he's sitting left of the captain, the captain will take his turn, then take the turn for Jarvis, and then it's the other player's turn and so forth. When you play a card out from Jarvis, the card on the bottom will flip over. So there's some hidden information in Jarvis's hand, but you have a lot of information you could see. So the two-player game, in a way, is a little bit easier because you have seven cards right up front that you can see, um, but it still gets challenging as the missions go on. I've played eight out of the 50 challenges, and they are really cool. There's some challenges where there's a sick player... Uh, and don't get too wrapped up in the theme because it's hardly there. But there's a sick player and that player can't win any tricks. And that's just the whole uh, mission is you could you play a regular trick taking game, but one player has to basically like shoot the moon. So um, I'm really excited to play this with more players um, outside of the two player variant. But even as the two player variant, I'm still like excited to get to the next mission because they're just it, it changes so much and it's so interesting and it gets really, really uh, progressively difficult. So that's the crew quest for Planet Nine. 
Yeah, I actually reminds me of I played Fox in the Forest Duet, which is kind of very similar in a way. Not really, though. Instead of conditions, you're trying to reach certain differences between your like cards that you play. Uh, how many people does the crew go up to? Actually, I'm curious. Is it four or is it more than five? It's three to five. Oh, it's five. Okay, I see. Three to five, but with two-player variant, I guess. Yeah. No, actually, it sounds really cool. Um, it also reminds me of indulgence, indulgence, indulgences. Just one indulgence. Uh, indulgence, which is um, kind of very similar, like conditions. I, I've kind of really um, been fascinating, fascinated with games that have like trick-taking with conditions because the conditions make the game really interesting. Because usually, like the game is one condition. You're trying to like either get all of the tricks or something when there's conditions it like makes you think of the games really differently which is kind of interesting yeah definitely and that's why this has so much replayability because it's basically like 50 games in one now we're playing yeah, yeah, that's what i was gonna say is basically you're playing a different game when you like get a new condition your kind of changes the whole game yeah definitely and this is like we're playing linear and there's a story there's like a very short one paragraph <laughs> like story to it which is like we're reading them of course but like that's it's it's okay um but it's uh i don't if i play it 50 times i could just we could just like choose which game we could play or randomly flip to a page and just play that you know but i'm really excited to show yeah. it to you guys eventually because I, I do think that most people in our group will like it no, I think I will like it, actually. Um, yeah, I also saw, I looked it up while you're talking, it's on tabletop as well, but the problem is there's only one person that I play with that likes trick-taking games, so it might be a hard sell for others. But I think me, you, Justine, and Matt will like it a lot. Oh, the podcast so will I'm definitely excited. like it, yeah. Yeah, I'm way excited for it. I love the idea of a cooperative trick-taking game. I th Yeah. I think like uh, some people just don't like trick taking games and you kind of have to have maybe grown up with them or something or I don't know how you like acquire a love for trick taking games but it's it's a thing <laughs> yeah so <laughs> anyway uh, a game I played the second solo game which I wanted to talk about which I played is Monochrome Inc we've previously played it and maybe even talked about it I think on the podcast I wanted to give it kind of a fair try as a solo game which I think is maybe how it's designed to be um I still, uh, it actually, first of all, it took me like a long time to like get the enthusiasm to actually play the game. And actually part of it is basically rereading the rules. Like for some reason, I just kind of didn't really care about the rules at all. Um, if you, uh, on the previous podcast or whenever we talked about it, we talked about how there was, uh, basically what is the game? The game is kind of a point and click adventure, really. Um, very reminiscent of a point-and-click adventure. There's no pixel hunting or anything. It's just kind of the pixels are highlighted for you. There's basically a scene and like five things you can actually do in the scene and they're very clearly, obviously laid out and you can just go there and take stuff and do stuff and whatever. Um, the game is you're trying to perform this heist for some kind of a shady employer who has hired you to steal this, uh, to basically investigate, actually, and steal a formula from a pharmaceutical corporation. And I'm not going to spoil it or anything, but there's weird stuff happening, and yeah. Uh, the game is basically kind of reveal a new scene, and they're all connected with these elevators. Basically, it's like a building with floors. That's the excuse for 
the elevators in this version. I don't know if like different because there's like three or four games out in the same universe now. I'm not sure if they all have elevators, but it seems like elevators were a big deal for um, this game, at least monochrome ink. Uh, so with an elevator, you can basically go to a new floor and the new full floor is a new scene and the new scene has things you can interact with and basically you build up this inventory. Speaking of which, uh, by the middle of the game, I, when you play a solo game and you have two characters, by the middle of the game, one of my characters had like 20 items or something, like more than 20, 25. I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, this is like too much stuff. There's some really strange design decisions in the game altogether. Um, I still think uh, after having played the full game, there's some like weird pacing issues in a way. So the f there's technically you can split the game in three parts. You can play like part one, part two, part three. Uh, part one is fine. Part two, it turns out you can actually explore pretty much the whole game, which is what I did. And like part three turns into like literally five minutes. So I think they maybe expect you to like rush it a little bit, uh, but there's nothing stopping you from like exploring the whole game. And then part three is pretty much just making the final decision kind of a thing. So there's some really strange issues really with the game. Uh, the other thing is I wanted to see if the story kind of gets better in a way. It kind of really didn't, to be honest. There's like more stuff and I was kind of slightly interested to see how it all ends in a way. But when I was done with it, I was just kind of thinking, like, would I have more fun, like, as a solo experience, just launching something like a PC game, like even the old, like, Space Quest or whatever, Police Quest games, or, like, a new one like Sam and Max, or, like, uh, they recently did, like, Full Throttle Remastered, like, you know, like, one of those uh, Secret of Monkey Island or whatever. You know, like, one of those old games, like, would that not be more fun? And I think, unfortunately, I have to say it probably would be more fun. Um, there's just... Kind of, I don't know. There's a this the there's a lot of still listening. I use the app actually. Uh, I think if you read everything, that'd be a pretty terrible experience, even solo. Um, I think the app reading to you makes it kind of acceptable, <laughs> but I still like there's just a lot of just listening. So it almost feels like you're kind of listening to an audio book with like pictures once in a while <laughs> um, I was also curious by the way if there are more puzzles the puzzles are kind of not really there there's the um, I mean all games are guilty of this but there's a lot of um, a lot more of like uh, hopefully I guess what the designer was thinking when he was designing the game so that I can like combine the right objects with what basically kind of read their mind because there are some really kind of weird and intuitive things that need to happen sometimes. I'm not going to spoil anything, but just very unusual kind of object combinations, which unfortunately, like I say, are not unique to this game. They're just kind of a feature of the old adventure games sometimes. Uh, they're supposed to be intuitive, but sometimes you're like, I didn't think of that, you know, or like they purposely try to make it clever so that you can't guess it so easily or something. Um, so overall, uh, like I say, it's an okay game. I probably would not even try to play those games like as a co-op experience with another person unless it's just two maximum. I think like three or four is like really counter to like the game design. It just 
kind of is just lame. Uh, like the turns get boring, samey. You there's too many people, and especially if you're re reading to each other, you're kind of reading a book to each other. Basically, is what ends up happening. Um, but I would still probably play kind of even an unlock. I feel like the unlocks are just more punchy. This is kind of an unlock, but it's stretched out and without the puzzles, really. It's just kind of combining objects and reading story. I don't know. It's it's fine. I probably still would not definitely buy it. I'm glad to kind of finally play it to see how, kind of how it ends and how the full game unfolds, but am I going to be playing the new ones even if I get them for free somehow from like a convention or something? Probably not actually, unless like, yeah, I yeah, no <laughs> kind of fairly kind of boring experience altogether, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, we played the four player version of this and it was tremendously boring to me and yeah it's a little boring uh to be honest though they did have a mechanic of like you know how uh, there's a mechanic where people basically get handicapped and the funny thing is it's kind of random like you're again you're supposed to kind of guess the designer's mind because you're just kind of going explore somewhere and like you think it's like a legit space to explore and like you're gonna get something good but no there's a hidden camera and it snaps your face and now you cannot interact with like some other objects because your face is <clears throat> on the security feed or whatever. Uh, there is a mechanic later on to actually remove those restrictions. However, I feel like it comes a little too late. And if I was playing a multiplayer game, that'd be like really annoying for like 60% of the game to be stuck, basically kind of gimped as far as like being able to do stuff and just have, kind of having to just kind of go along. There's a mechanic to remove them, them though, the, the handicaps, but not, not, not well implemented in my opinion and kind of a little bit late for what it is yeah you know the other one that came out at the same time is a castle i wonder how they do an elevator in a castle maybe it's stairs yeah i was gonna say i bet it's stairs um so another game i played this week um was carthago it's a game that i played a while ago with brandon and matt and i kind of really enjoyed it so we ended up buying it pretty quickly afterwards. It sat on our shelf for a while. Um, it's just a really nice, easy game to pull out and play, especially at times like these when you're kind of st stuck at home. Um, it, so it's a card-driven game where you're, drive, uh, you're taking actions based on the cards you have in your hand. Um, you're merchants in ancient Carthage. And... I mean, the theme's kind of, eh, it's there, I guess. It's not a great theme. Mostly the theme comes through to me based on, like, the artwork. The art is all, like, you would see in, like, ancient pottery. So very flat-looking, very monochrome. Um, but it's just a really simple, easy game to pull out and play. That's um, a little bit more, there's more game to it than maybe some of the filler games that we're going to talk about later in the episode, but it's not the same as pulling out like a full on Euro game. Yeah. I, I recently actually played this with my wife and um, it, I think it's perfect as two players. I think uh, I would rather play it at two, uh, but I played this with my wife and her uncle who lives in the house with us. And they both thought that it was like 
a little fiddly with like uh, all the things you have to remember to do. I think it's fine, but you do you have to play a card that matches the action that you're going to do. Then you have to move your pawn to that action. And then if there's another player there, you have to play an additional card. And then when you play additional cards on the right-hand side, and then you could pass and move that card to your left-hand side. That's just to keep track of how many turns you've taken. And then you get to draw a card. But there's a lot to remember. Like if you go to the market, uh, then your ships that are inactive can flip to active. And then if you go to the battle zone where you like, like basically like, like try to fight ships, those come in inactive. You have to remember that. And if you lose, then you have, then you get to draw a card, whether you lose or not, you get to place a, that pawn on your, on the scoring track. There's just a lot of little things to remember that are very easy to forget, but it comes with, um, a player aid on a card. So that's very helpful. But yeah, I like this game a lot. Um, I know if Risto didn't though, right? You didn't like this game so much. Uh, I actually had really high expectations because it's a game I should like. The only thing that really got to me was the top decking of not just fighting uh, ships, but also just like what goods are available, I think, if I remember correctly. There was some kind of a luck situation which I which really can screw up your game, especially early on, and I feel like that's kind of lame. I feel like the game is kind of trying to like compress a lot of game into a very short time and it kind of actually works yeah it kind of works but it also comes with the disadvantage of like a lot of luck and kind of accidental blocking by other people that maybe they didn't really mean to block the person who's behind maybe uh what i'm saying is it's kind of it's a card game ultimately it comes with a board it's in this weird space between like a card game that maybe has a little bit too much going on in my opinion yeah, I was going to say this is like Capstone Games trying to do a card game, but like how close to a card game is it? There's cards. There's a lot of cards, but there's yeah. like several boards too. Um, no, I, I could actually understand people getting frustrated with the the, uh, the card flips, um, mainly in the market. Uh, that could be bad. Trying to look for a particular resource that's just like not showing up. The cards are multi-use yeah. cards. So like they have an action, they have a resource and they have money on them. So, you know, that's, I think how they try to mitigate a little bit of luck. But if you're trying to find a resource and you can't find it, uh, you're just out of luck. Yeah, no, what actually kind of frustrates me about Carthago is it's like kind of like a full game almost uh, with something like Mutainai, which is actually kind of, uh, that's um, the kind of direct alternative is a similar game. Uh, Mutainai is kind of faster, in my opinion, so that's why it's more forgivable. It kind of has the same issues like, like top decking and luck and just kind of crazy effects, which is like a trademark of Call of Chudik or whatever. But at least it's like over faster. I feel like Carthago goes on for like a while and if it just kind of yeah anyway coupled with the luck it's not the best experience that i've had yeah you know the two-player game is significantly shorter i think you should give it yeah. another try at two-player i think it works best yeah. at two honestly there's, what there's I, say a, is I think actually maybe the chaos is less with four i feel like with four there's just a lot of chaos like all over the place so that yeah. probably is reduced you are playing with um, like dummies in in the in the two player game, on the action spaces. But you know where they are and you know where they're going. So if you go to that action space that has a dummy, it's just going to move to the next available spot. And then it has like some seats covered up when seats are like part of scoring. Yeah. 
a majority or something line or something if I remember. Yeah. Actually, there's scoring conditions. The scoring conditions are different every time. Yeah, it's but the basic scoring is um, your seats times how many boats you have. That's every yeah. game. Yeah. All right. Well, that was our games played. And next up will be some games that we're looking forward to. All right, I'm looking forward to a couple games. One, um, the American version is called Stick'em, S-T-I-K-E-M, Stick'em. It's uh, a German game. I think it was called like Stick'em. Stick'em, Yes, it's a trick-taking game that has not been available in um in the states but it is going to be available soon called stick'em um it's a trick-taking game and you have like a pain suit and you're going to get some minus points for your pain suit and some plus points for your non-pain suit so you're trying to take tricks and not take tricks at the same time i really enjoy this game so i'm really glad that it's going to be available in the states um another one is the name is kind of dumb but I don't know why I'm looking forward to it. It's called Super Skill Pinball 4K. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah, this is a game by Jeff Engelstein, and it's coming out from WizKids. It is a roll and write, and it has four different boards. It's a pinball theme, so the boards are like pinball tables. So, But each board is like a different game. And so like if you're playing a four player game, like all four players are playing a, a different game with the dice that are rolled. So you roll the dice and everybody uses those. Um, the boards are like 70s disco, fantasy, cyberpunk, and carnival, and each one offering different challenges. So I, I like playing pinball. Like pinball is like super fun for me. Um, I do like rolling rights if they're different than the rest of the rolling rights that have we've had like an influx of and i like some i like the idea of jeff engelstein games not always in practice so i just want to see these elements combined and i'm very curious about it so yeah super skill pinball 4k and yeah those are the games i'm looking forward to um actually funny enough Stickum is published by Capstone, I think, and I actually played it like two or three days ago. We only played a three-player game. I actually don't think I like the three-player game. Oddly enough, that's a game where I would like more chaos, so I think you want four or five people just because of the chaos. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of very kind of weird. Uh, as far as pinball, actually, I'm very curious how they're going to do pinball in a board game. I used to be addicted in the early 90s for a while to, like, I used to play pinball fantasies on computer, which is, like, actually kind of exactly the same. There were four tables. One of them was, like, a horror table. The other one was, like, a car racing table, a game show table, and a carnival table, or, like, a fun fair table. So I'm really curious how they did that. That'd be kind of interesting. I figure if they can turn um, Tetris into a pinball game, they can turn anything, in, or sorry, Tetris into a roll and write. Into a, yeah, they can turn yeah. Roll and I write. bet it works. I hope it's fun. That's the only thing because pinball is like the a lot of fun is like the combos you can pull by just like hitting in the right. Yeah, um, I don't know too much about the gameplay, but I do know like you can get bonuses that will be like an extra ball, which is going to be an extra dice. 
So like th- that that sounds kind of cool, like thematic, like it fits well with pinball. Yeah, yeah, no, actually, dice probably sounds sounds about right. So yeah, should be interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. Anyway, uh, games looking forward to for me. Um, I have quite a few actually. I'll just go through them kind of quickly and talk about them really quickly. Um, I saw recently that someone published a mod for an infamous traffic on Tabletop Simulator. That's a game I've wanted to play for a while, kind of. And I feel like uh, a game where you it's a little bit painful, and that game is very painful from what I've seen. So kind of something like Bus or whatever, or just like a game where like uh, maybe uh, the Estates, somewhere where you just like you experience a lot of blocking and kind of cutting off stuff and points and kind of attacking each other in a blocky way. Um, so it's a game by Cole Worley, and I think it's one of his earlier games, Designer of Root and like other games. Uh, one of his earlier games, uh, it's about like drugs, actually. That's why it's called an infamous traffic. You're smuggling drugs out of uh, actually not really smuggling I feel like it's almost like semi-official That's I don't know what the story is but basically there was a huge drug trade of probably opiates from China or something so I think that's what it's representing Um, I don't remember too much about the game other than you're trying to set up these supply chains and they're really easy to destroy so like it's it's very fragile game where anyone can swoop in and just like destroy your game should be kind of painful infamous traffic Uh, another game that I've wanted to play since I saw the Kickstarter a couple of days ago was Lawyer Up um, also published on tabletop as a mod I actually watched a two-player game by uh, it's only a two-player game by the way so I watched a two-player game like half of it of two other people playing uh, in our group uh, very interested it's kind of a tug-of-war game it's a um, game where you are in a trial and you have you call witnesses and you try to sway them with arguments. Sounds extremely boring. However, it's kind of a cool kind of match-up sets of cards with powers um, game. And you try to basically, if you win a witness, you can influence the jury. And the cases have different kind of goals. Um, kind of hard to explain, but very unique theme. And it actually is not as heavy as it sounds either. It's kind of a tug-of-war two-player game, which is over in 45 minutes. Kind of interested in it. Uh, That's Lawyer Up. Divide at Impera. Uh, D-E-I. D.E.I. That's another game of kind of very majority. I wouldn't really say it's very control. Actually, there's like no fighting. I think there's one unit in the whole game which can remove one guy or something. Uh, Very difficult to remove people. I think it's going to be just kind of like controlling or having majority in a lot of areas. Um, Really cool post-apocalyptic theme of London having been frozen over, maybe by a nuclear apocalypse. I don't know if it's really explained. Um, and you just kind of go among the ruins and you try to collect all technology and like energy and trade it in for like uh, cards. I think it's got a deck building aspect to it as well. Uh, Divided Impera. Rallyman GT. I read the rules this week. Uh, Simple push your luck racing game. I'm kind of curious about playing it. Unfortunately, some people don't like racing games, so I'm not sure where I'm going to play it. Maybe there's this public group of uh, tabletop um, where 
uh, game that I've wanted to check out just to see if I'm actually going to like it or not because it sounds really cool. Uh, however, it has a huge like put your luck aspect to it, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be a super huge fan of that or if it's balanced. I'm kind of curious if there's going to be an explosive like runaway leader. It doesn't sound like it. Sounds like it's fairly well balanced, but we'll see. So Rallyman, Rallyman GT, and then Rocketman, which is Martin Wallace's deck building game. It actually kind of doesn't look very good. It again has a push your luck luck aspect to it i am not sure about that one i kind of am mostly curious what he came up with although after wildlands i fear it might be another game where it's just kind of just okay or kind of not super amazing kind of pure deck building game there's a market and you try to like make these sets of basically put together a mission and there's like a little bit of pop decking on top of you trying to put together like symbols to complete the mission and to see if you've completed it or not. But again, curious because just because it's Martin Wallace and just to see what the heck he came up with. Uh, should be kind of a quick game, not very long. Rocket Man. And that's the games I'm looking forward to. Um, for me, mostly, I'm looking forward to finally getting a chance to play the games on our shelves that we haven't had a chance to play. Um, with board game stores being closed and Amazon and other shipping methods taking a really long time, Matt and I aren't looking at getting a new game for a while. So I'm looking forward to being able to play some games that we bought forever ago. Um, one that I'm really looking forward to is Versindas Folk, which is a two-player game along the same lines as... Um, Twilight Struggle, where you've got East Germany and West Germany, and you're kind of in a battle against each other. You take actions using cards. It's very reminiscent of Twilight Struggle. Um, I'm very excited to get a chance to pull that off the shelves and play it. Um, I'm also really excited to try Antique 2, or no, sorry, Antique Duellum. We got a chance to play Antique 2 with the group a couple months ago and Matt and I both really liked it and we've been waiting for a chance to play Antique Duellum which is a two player version of that game um, so yeah those are some of the games I'm looking forward to playing yeah Justine this what, is a so, sorry go ahead sorry what year does uh, das Folk uh, it, take place in is it like a communist thing or something yeah, like East, yeah, East Germany versus West Germany? Yeah, so it goes over, I think they said four decades, maybe five, I'm not sure, up to 1989, up to the fall of the wall. Cool. No, actually, that sounds really cool. It means, I think, we are the people, right? I think it means, yeah, I don't yeah. know. It was a rallying cry for, I think, East Germany when they were having protests. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Justine, this is a good point. Um, I've been doing this as well. I actually like pull out halfway uh, a lot of board games that I just like haven't gotten to. And man, I'm like flying through them. I'm playing like a game a night with my wife and her uncle. Um, we're only playing two player games. We're taking turns like uh, watching our daughter. And uh, it's it's almost making a, a good thing out of a bad situation, right? Because like uh, I get to also show my wife. My wife is a gamer but she just doesn't have a lot of time for gaming, except she does now. So I get to like show her all these games that she had missed out on. Plus, 
like pull out some games like Colbert and the card game of or Colbert and the board game of had forever. Um, but I just like, for some reason, just thought I didn't have enough time to play it or read it or whatever. So yeah, I'm, I'm doing that as well. I also still want to mention that demolition games is sort of still open. Um, if you're in the like salt Lake or Utah area, what you can do is you can call demolition games and you can purchase a game over the phone, like using a credit card, and then you could pick it up curbside. So that's an option for some Salt Lake people if they want to get new games. But I think you should take this time to play some games you haven't played, but also, you know, support some of these stores that are still trying to do something to, you know, stay afloat. All right, so that was some games that we're looking forward to. So up next will be our topic, what motivates you to play board games? All right. Um, so because of the pandemic or whatever, or just being locked inside your house, I've been kind of thinking about uh, board gaming and just kind of playing on tabletop. And we actually had a discussion earlier on and before the podcast started about uh, how it's kind of different a little bit. And um, I kind of started thinking about, you know, like when... Uh, you have tabletop and when you have uh, maybe solo games as an alternative, like which one should you play and why and which one would I rather play? And basically it kind of got me started on thinking about what do I actually like in board games, what I enjoy, uh, kind of very like introspective, philosophical, like <laughs> almost like a, a crisis or something like where, what am I doing with my life? No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> No, it's. Um, I just basically started thinking about like why maybe isn't tabletop as much fun if it isn't, or is it as much fun? Would I rather be doing something else and why? So I kind of started thinking about basically what I like and what I dislike uh, as far as just playing board games. So I have a list of basically reasons or kind of topics that I came up with, and if you guys think of something else or if we start talking about something else just feel feel free to just kind of uh call it out or just at the end or whenever uh but basically i'm just gonna go through them and we can talk about each one of them um and kind of maybe how big of an aspect that is for board games for us in person personally uh because i think as i look through them i definitely kind of enjoy some things more than others but i can see how other people might play board games for different reasons uh so i think uh one of the biggest reasons actually uh for a lot of people and that's maybe the most obvious one with tabletop is that's missing is uh, people play games because of the social aspect of them uh you kind of um i actually maybe started playing board games because of that reason because uh you can play kind of the same games online, maybe even maybe well, definitely more complicated games, uh, maybe even more engaging games, games with better graphics or whatever. The board games have nice art, but it's not animated yet. And, you know, like it's definitely like a step down if you think of like art or like 3D or like sound or something. Game, like board games are starting to like come with soundtracks or whatever, but um, experimentally mostly. But I think the one of the bigger reasons why a lot of people play board games is because of the social aspect to them. Um, and actually, I think for some people, that's like really important. Um, it 
kind of brings me back to this meetup where I saw someone, I think I've mentioned it before just because it was so striking, the person had listed that they don't want to play games with more than three rules and basically kind of reading between the lines that's kind of just I kind of want to have fun with mm -hmm. people. I kind of don't want to do calculations or do like complicated stuff. I just kind of want to hang out and, and have fun. So um, I think that's for some people a big draw is the social aspect of board games. For me, I think it's like a draw. I mean, I enjoy uh, obviously the social interaction and just being with people. Uh, which is completely missing from tabletop, but it's maybe not the biggest draw for me. How about you guys? Is it like uh, is the social aspect of just like being around people a big draw for you, or not so much? So for me, it's a draw, like you said. It wasn't the draw when I first got into gaming. Um, I'll get more into like why I got into gaming as we uh, proceed with this, but um, it was something that came a little bit later for me. Now I, uh, like when I got into gaming, I had recently like had a lifestyle change. Like I just started getting more healthy. And so that made me kind of lose some people I was hanging out with. So I didn't know that I was necessarily like searching for new people and new like social, uh, settings. But when I started playing at game stores and going to meetups, I, that's when it started like kind of, um, that started being a huge reason why I game now today it is like I, when we would go to board game meetups or or our group would meet i would really look forward to seeing everybody as well as playing games you know so like when i first started it wasn't about that but it quickly turned into that and most of my friends today are i found through gaming so like i would say that's a big part but it didn't start that way yeah, I would say kind of circumstantially kind of like takes over your social life <laughs> just because uh, yeah. uh, you spend a lot of time playing board games and like you just kind of end up hanging out with the people that play board games with you. Um, if you play with the same people, I think there's all kinds of different situations. And actually some people might not enjoy that and they are perfectly fine with playing on like board game arena where people like hardly ever talk if at all. Like I've played games where like no one even like types a line, which is just really kind of a different way to play board board games um but yeah to your point i don't know if that was i think actually that was a draw initially for me is to just kind of get out because i used to play a lot of pc games and i still do and you can talk with voice chat but it's kind of not the same you're kind of very like disconnected and i think board games like you are still playing game but you feel definitely like that you're more connected with the people that you're actually because you're there physically and it's kind of a bigger deal oh general. definitely yeah and you start getting like inside jokes and you can start joking about board yeah. games and yeah yeah it's mm -hmm. yeah and maybe also there's an aspect of it's not as fast-paced as online games so like it's not all about like you can kind of hang out and talk about other stuff in the pauses when you've thought about your turn like in an online game you really cannot socialize like there's just no way you're only talking about the game basically because everything's really fast yeah most yeah. of sorry go ahead oh i was just gonna say i kind of agree exactly with you guys i think i'm kind of in the same boat as brandon when i first started playing games like at first it was really just like a bonding thing for matt and i um something we did as a couple and when we started going out to board game meetups um it became a lot more about getting out and being with people and hanging out. And so, yeah, tabletop 
simulator just kind of doesn't scratch that same itch for me. I'd rather be face to face with someone. Uh, the, the, well, so other than social reasons, another thing that I thought about of why people might want to play games is because of educational reasons. I think that's a lot more common with like kind of um, a little bit earlier, like in, in schools, like formally, like uh, lower grades, because um, I was thinking about can board games really teach you that much? I think they give some history and I've definitely learned some things about like historical things that I probably wouldn't have known uh, had it not been for board games. But uh, for me, I don't think that's like a huge reason of why I play board games. It's kind of there. I enjoy the history. I think uh, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about games with math. There's I see them on Kickstarter sometimes and just like in general. Um, there's some board games that come out that teach children basically how to do like basic math, multiplication tables, how to count. That's kind of uh, a little bit useless for for like older people, obviously. Uh, but I think they some the games definitely have like some educational values of like maybe some economic aspect aspects as well, like supply demand. Um, and for younger children, I think that's a reason why some people might play board games as as well as just to kind of just educate usually their children. Or you can learn about history or like um, actually what I was thinking about in terms of education. Uh, what makes games educational kind of also makes them a little bit boring for me, unfortunately. Um, I was thinking about there was an accounting game which I saw on Kickstarter and it reminded me very much of these cases that we actually did in school. Uh, and it's unfortunately, it was very fascinating to see, but I was just thinking like, would I play this for fun as a game? And I probably kind of wouldn't because it's this like full simulation of like the full, you run a company basically for 10 years from what I remember. And it's a full income statement kind of a simulation of the company. So you can take like loans, which increase your production and you kind of run it through the numbers basically. And it, they affect like certain accounts and stuff. And it all sounded like very much like school. <laughs> that I'm not sure if that's too much fun. Another game that I, uh, or just a series of games that I keep thinking about when I hear about educational or just kind of very simulation type games is the Sierra Madre games. Uh, High Frontier, Bios Genesis, Bios Origins. Um, like I say, those games also just kind of give an air of kind of a little bit too much technical information that I'm not sure would be so much fun, which kind of actually make detracts it for me. So maybe I don't, I, I like some aspect of the educational aspect of games, just learning about history. I'm not sure if I'm too keen on like really hardcore simulations for the sake of just like learning ex and experimenting, maybe outside of an academic setting. Yeah, the, what do you guys think? the educational aspect to me happens, uh, it's kind of a side note, and it's kind of accidental, and it's through the rule book usually, you know, when there's like a piece of history in the rule book, I'll read it, and I'll, I'll be happy to read it and interested in it while I'm reading it, but the gameplay... Like, I don't know how much, how many of these like historical games has actually like taught me anything about the history in the gameplay itself. Um, but I am yeah, excited. Exactly. Yeah. But I am excited to show my, my daughter some games and teach her without her knowing that she's being taught because hopefully she's having a good time. And like, I think that's a really great way to teach 
uh, uh, children some some aspects of life. Um, and the the early games for for young young people are going to be like very simple colors and numbers and maybe memory exercise. And for me, like there is that exercising my brain aspect to keep my brain like fit, you know. Actually, something that, as you were talking, I thought of something that maybe is very circumstantial and just kind of not really written out that much in board games. But I think the aspect of like cooperation versus conflict is very interesting to see like in a board game. And it kind of has made me think about just life in general, you know, because a lot of games are kind of like against each other. There's also games that are cooperative and there's games that are mixed so it kind of makes you think about you know just in life in general like what's um just kind of how to live life uh, oh yeah <laughs> it, it, sounds, like, it sounds kind of funny but like yeah some some i feel like some people live their life like very confrontationally it's kind of like me against the world some people are the opposite way and i think maybe it's like the best way is maybe somewhere in the middle or something i don't know yeah yeah it's or like as something a i've thought about as like a team building exercise for like a, a, at work or something if you play a co-op game like i think that could help with team building right yeah yeah well, and I mean, me being a teacher, I'm always considering like how to use board games educationally. And so I think board games have like, there's three different levels to me of education in board games. So there's ones that are very explicit and outright trying to teach you a hard skill. Um, these are, you know, like, I don't know, math fact games, stuff like that. Um but then there are other games that like I enjoy as an adult that I think would be really beneficial to little kids like can't stop. That's all addition facts um, and probability. And so as you're playing that game, you're exploring these concepts of adding numbers. How, pro how often am I going to roll a six? How often am I going to roll a two? But then there's also softer skills, things like, um, opportunity cost and you know conflict resolution waiting your turn things that i think these are very valuable for people of all ages to learn yeah i actually think can't stop is like a really good example of kind of statistical probability and i feel like if you taught that using can't stop in a math class or something versus like someone just drawing curves and stuff. I think the can't stop uh, way would probably stick better in a in a in a way. Oh, I think for sure, yeah. I so could I see think using. It's kind of fun. I could see using can't stop to teach everyone from like first grade on up to twelfth grade. Honestly, I mean, you know, with your first graders, they just count the dots on the dice. Yeah, yeah, it could just it's be like strategy. simple simple addition, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great, like, math game. Um, anyway, uh, the other, another uh, reason that this kind of a joke reason here, but uh, I've seen uh, people who post, like, in reviews of games usually, it's like, oh, a great way to pass the time. So I think some aspect of games might be just to, just because you're bored. <laughs> 
kind of. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I was thinking about uh, lately, I think all of us are kind of adults in the U.S. and it's kind of a lifestyle where you are usually busy with other stuff where it technically should be. So I don't know if any of us really pass games to just like pass the time, so to speak, or there's nothing better to do. Um, I think that happened to all of us maybe when we were children more. Um, I was thinking when I was a child, I definitely played some board games just because there's like nothing better to do and it looked kind of interesting, looked like a toy. So I was just like, oh, I'll just play this because it looks fun. So I don't know. I, I doubt you you guys play games to pass the time no. just because you're bored, right? Yeah, that's exactly it's, right. It's usually very intentional. Yeah. Um, yeah, When I mean, when I was a kid, same situation. Like I, when I think of board games as a child, I think of rainy days. Like I can't go out and play you know, and like if there's like three or four of us, we're not going to play Nintendo because like we'd have to like pass the controller and watch each other play. So that's when the board games came out. But yeah, nowadays, um, I definitely don't do it when I'm, I mean, I might do it at home when I'm bored. I might play a solo game when I'm bored or if I have nothing else to do. But to pass the time, I got, I, I as you said, yeah, as an there's, adult, there's I have too much to stuff. <laughs> yeah, I have yeah. too much stuff that I need to do first. Um, and board gaming is like a it's a part of my life so it's like uh, uh, in a regular situation it's scheduled events that i look forward to so yeah it's never yeah, yeah, passing yeah. the timer because i'm bored yeah yep. if i need something to do like i don't know it's 11 30 at night i need to figure out something to occupy my mind until i fall asleep it's not going to be a board game like yeah. it's going to be something different yep um, another reason why people might play board games is just to get immersed in a different world or just kind of forget about their um, everyday life. And that actually is kind of uh, another reason which is uh, significant for me. Usually you see uh, that more with kind of RPG people, uh, maybe games which have like a lot of elaborate art. It kind of reminds me of someone recently who sold a game and bought a different game because it just has to be, it just has to have better art. Um, so uh, I think that's a huge reason for some people, and they don't really care much about the gameplay as much as just kind of to kind of connect with the character that they're playing and just kind of just to, like I said, just get a, like taken away in a different world. And I think um, that's present for me with some games uh however we play a lot of euros and euros are not really the most like immersive sometimes uh sometimes they do have really good theme integration but sometimes they don't so i think that's kind of like a 50 50 for me but um yeah yeah i, I think someone who's like a thematic gamer and prefers thematic yeah. games i think they're pretty high on this yeah i uh, i had a a, a kind of a jokey argument with a fellow that used to come into the shop that plays a lot of like um, dungeon crawls and, and and thematic games and he was talking about escapism and i was like i don't i don't need to escape i want to i want to mechanically work out my brain and so he always joked with me and said that i had a perfect life because i didn't need to escape but <laughs> I, <laughs> I have other escapisms that's not true i read comic books and i play video games and those i get very immersed in the story and movies too right those i kind of disappear from the world but with board games I, I feel like i'm very present in the moment and i'm very present with the people around me and it's more um problem solving basically is what i'm looking for rather than to be immersed in a game although yeah. you know i do buy some of these games like like 
bringing back a Marvel Crisis Protocol, I did buy that game to get immersed and I did buy it because I like the theme. So like there's a part of me that wants that, but it doesn't it's not a necessity for me. Yep. Now, like I say, I think uh, a lot of them, uh, some some games have like really strong theme and they connect with me. Some don't, and I play them for different reasons. But it, I I like I like theme. I actually like theme more than I thought because I actually was kind of thinking uh, a year ago, two years ago, like, do I really care about theme? And I think I do actually because the games I like, the theme comes across. It's not just about the calculations. I think maybe Justine is less that way though, from what I've seen. But I don't know. Yeah, I I really like um, themes, but uh, I don't know as far as like escapism. I don't know. Like maybe I get a little bit of escapism out of King's Dilemma because I get to like play a completely different person than who I am. But I mean, normally, yeah, I'm mostly playing a game for like the calculation, the puzzle in it. The theme is just a bonus. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. The that's actually bonus. the that's actually the the next thing that I have, which is actually why most of us play games i think is basically the puzzle solving the optimization aspect the calculation aspect and working with constraints um speaking of working with constraints i think that's kind of unique to your games gamers actually i think a lot of people i've had some comments from um someone uh just on tabletop and just in general about like not being able to do certain things in games and actually that like doesn't bother me at all um i don't know i it was kind of surprising to me that it um, bothered that person because for me it's like learning what the constraints are which is what the rules are and then like optimizing inside those constraints because yeah. i think without constraints the games wouldn't be like fun i mean yeah they kind of wouldn't be uh, sandboxes are maybe like an exception, but they still have like rules. Yeah, they still but have really, constraints. Yeah, I really like knowing constraints and being able to like optimize inside the constraints. That's actually one of the biggest reasons why I play board games is I kind of enjoy the puzzle. There's something about like a puzzle that I just kind of like i think it's like a human thing is like someone someone made a math problem or something or maybe it's just me but someone made a problem or made like a lock or something and you're trying to like unlock it or like i don't know solve the problem i think that's a really big draw for me in games for yeah. sure yeah the so um i recently played replayed otis and i and i realized that like i don't like that game so much there's some like there's like random uh card flips like you could complete a contract and then a card could flip and you could just oh i accidentally i have that contract yeah i hate that i also hate the race for points but i still enjoy playing it because of the puzzly nature of taking your turns and figuring out this guy's going to come up for air and it's going to push this guy out and i need to push this here that's matching uh this number on the board you know all of that i really enjoy and that's like the puzzly nature of it the constraints i agree with you like they're there to challenge you and figure out problem solving and the game i think that uh the person that you were talking about was on mars and he was talking about how it had a lot of constraints to it and i was kind of puzzled by that as well like oh that's what made the game so uh so good Actually, for me. it was in reference to something else but anyway yeah but that that was mentioned as well in our in our group chat that like that that on mars had too many restraints and 
that's what like draws me to a game is because it's like it 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 fires off that that thing in my brain of trying to solve that problem and if like christo said if the constraints weren't there it'd be kind of boring i do agree that you can go overboard with constraints sometimes like uh whatever that island game with the dog gosh what is it called isle of cooper island cooper island i feel like that game is a little bit overboard with constraints like there's the game is just so like rough that like everything you do has to be absolutely perfect which i'm still fine with it like i enjoy it less though because maybe it's a little bit too much so i guess there's a balance to everything obviously yeah i really like calculating and figuring out the puzzle in a game like weirdly recently the game that's like made me feel the best when i'm playing it is actually pipeline and people are going to say I'm crazy. You have to play it a couple times. Like your first three, four, five playthroughs are going to be torture because you're going to find out you can't do anything. Um, but once you get like the system down and figure out what you're doing, it's actually a really neat puzzle to try and figure out and solve. No, I actually agree with Pipeline. That is a great game as far as calculations uh it is a little bit high like on my scale like i say of uh kind of maybe too much constraints like i like my games a little bit more because i think like once you get a little crazy on the constraints it kind of starts taking away from the fun for me personally some people really enjoy the heavy heavy constraints like you better plan your whole game from turn one and like never fail for me it's maybe i need a little bit more fun usually sometimes i'm in the mood though so i don't know you know um euro gamers i think are a niche and a niche hobby whereas if this was three other gamers talking uh i think the theme would be way more important and the socialization yep. and this is like our this is like pinpointed to like this is almost why we play games right is this particular topic that you're talking about yeah yeah definitely I do like to explore other things like you with miniatures and, you know, I play like some card games and just kind of games that are lighter because they're just fun for me and colorful and the theme is fun. But yeah, this is a big draw for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I was going to say another. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to say like with that, with like me venturing out to like miniature games and stuff like that, I know that it's still not going to scratch that itch. It's almost not going to feel like board games. It's going to feel like a different activity, which is like kind yeah. of what I'm trying to find, like something in the hobby that scratches another itch of mine. But if I were to just like, say, play a miniatures game every day of the week, I would have this big hole missing from me, which is like the board games that we usually play. Yeah. Um... Anyway, another reason, which is we kind of we touched on, so along going along with your miniatures uh, game that you bought, is uh, some people actually really enjoy the collecting or customization part of their game, kind of make your make the game your own. I think that goes into like a huge part of basically the magic players and the CCG, LCG kind of people and the miniatures people who really kind of are interested in customizing their game. And that actually for me is <clears throat> almost like a negative for me because I like my games to be kind of a complete package most of the time. I kind of don't want to 
create my own game, mess with like exploring different setups in general, especially if they're really complicated. And I think that's a huge draw for like uh, deck building, LCG, CCGs, uh, and miniature gaming. Uh, so yeah, that's that. I think that, like I say, that's a huge draw for some people. Uh, Brandon, you're a little bit like LCG slash miniatures going into LCGs and miniatures. Uh, you, I'm guessing, are interested in collecting, but to an extent, I think. Yeah, to an extent. All, um, all the way. Yeah, no, <laughs> this is not a huge draw for me. Um, we play the Marvel LCC, LCG game, uh, Marvel Champions. And we have a day, well, it's not a whole day, it's like a, an hour of uh, customizing our decks, like building our decks. And really for me, it's not about the building of the decks, but it's sitting with two of my friends that like the Marvel Universe and we just like sit around and geek out about like comic books that we've read and the movies that are coming out and stuff while we're building our decks. That is not, the deck building itself isn't a big draw to me. Now, the other stuff like painting miniatures, um... I like to an extent I do when I'm sitting down and actually painting, I do quite enjoy that. Uh, I'm, I am an artist. Like I used to paint on canvases, like with like acrylic paints and stuff, but I'm not that great at it. Um, so this makes me feel like I'm a better artist than I am because it's like a 3d coloring book, you know? And it's like really good to just like zone out, listen to a podcast and, and, and paint. Uh, so I do like that. I just don't have a lot of time for it as I used to. And sometimes it's kind of a pain, like if I have some, cause some of our Euro games come with like a miniature or something that could be painted. And I find that almost to be like a pain, like, oh, I kind of want to see that painted, but I don't really want to spend the time doing it. So sometimes it's a negative to me, but, um, but if I'm actually sitting down and have the time and doing it, I do enjoy it. But I was going to yeah. say about uh, customizing your game, you can do this with Euro games, right? You could upgrade stuff or you can like search on like etsy or something and, and get some like better yeah, quality yeah, yeah. stuff for it and i find i do find that enjoyable like adding like metal coins to your games or you know you know sleeving your cards too to protect them and having it better to shuffle easier to shuffle uh but i find like if i have a game like a euro game that i really like i do like to customize that and just i, I guess like pimp it out i don't know if that's a correct term for it but <laughs> but yeah no i get it uh i was actually you're going into like the physical aspect of the game i was uh, going into maybe like the gameplay aspect of the game speaking of which by the way uh justine and matt i think you have a lot of games with like house rules and that's kind of an interesting aspect which uh i don't do and i don't think brandon does either i think like no. matt and you like to house rules a lot house rule a lot of games and i think that's kind of maybe part of customizing the game as well as just kind of just like changing so, stuff we don't tend like we do house rule games that we play a lot so like terra mystica for example just because it's more of a challenge like if you're playing terra mystica with just two players it's seriously like you're both playing your own separate game there's no interaction um but for the most part if we're going to house rule something it's something where we feel like there's randomness that didn't need to be there it's things like maybe adding it's just something super simple so like another one i can think of for splendor is that we have one more card turned up that you don't have access to, but you can see a little bit further what's coming. Just things, little things like that. We don't really like make our own 
like total house I rules. See. Yeah, yeah, so it doesn't substantially change the game, just kind of improves the maybe visibility on things. I've actually gotten that, yeah. Or like I think yeah. I've heard Matt before doing like house rules for initial drafts in games where there's asymmetric powers, Definitely, like yeah. barrage and stuff. Yeah, I've yeah. Uh, with Wingspan, um, I do some card drafting in the beginning because it, in Wingspan, you just dealt cards and those that's your starting hand. So I added my own house rule for that just to like draft in the beginning. I think that's always good to throw in. But for me, if I have to house rule something that's actually in the gameplay, I personally feel like the game just wasn't properly designed and maybe I don't like it and maybe I shouldn't play <laughs> yeah. it. No, that's actually exactly my thoughts. But some people actually just really like kind of changing the game up to kind of experiment and see how it changes and it kind of uh, it kind of almost goes into like beginnings of game design maybe because you are kind of designing a new game at that point other yeah, than, rather yeah. than improving the game you're just kind of changing the whole game definitely but i think some people might that's something they might enjoy especially with lcg ccgs yep um, and i think like to sum it up the final thing is to compete um I don't know. That's I've been thinking about it. Competition is definitely like part of board gaming, and um, I think even if you don't care about winning, you care about winning a little, mm -hmm. and it's definitely a draw to like just kind of do better. Um, maybe compete against yourself, not necessarily against other people, because it's a large world and we have a limited group. But I've thought about it like a big draw for me, or just a draw. One of the draws for me is to just kind of improve and feel like I'm improving, have a better game next time to Justine's point, like kind of uh, have five fail games so you can have a great game and just kind of keep improving. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm usually competing against myself as well. Um, we have a lot of like great game players in our gaming group. And when I sit down to play a game, I'm not expecting to win, but I'm trying to win. And if I win, it's, it's cool. It feels good because I, there's some great gamers. Uh, but really I'm trying to get a better score than my last score really. Um, but I do enjoy competitive nature as far as like joking with each other and trash talking. Like I find that very fun. And so there's a little bit of competitiveness in me to want to do that. I think. Yeah, I agree. I'm definitely not like the most competitive person, but like if I'm playing a game, I'm going to try and win. But again, kind of like Brandon said, I'm not uh, someone who's going to um, be super duper competitive. I'm not expecting to win every game or even most of the games that I play. Yeah, you know what's funny for me is I'm not highly competitive, but I would rather play a competitive game than a than a uh, co-op game, personally. I kind of just find it interesting, the mind versus mind versus mind, and to like see, even if I don't yeah. win, see whose strategy like work the best, and like see maybe people do weird strategies and it actually work. Like that's all very fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So anyway, that's actually all I had, unless you guys can think of another reason why we play board games. Uh, we've talked about quite a few topics, actually. So if you don't have anything, uh, yeah, or any closing thoughts? There's one thing I want to talk about, and it was on your initial list, which is uh, to collect. And we had a local article about a guy that had like 2000 games and he just like got addicted to collecting. And I think some of us on the show suffer that a little bit 
but not to the extent of that because <laughs> i feel like we are collecting games and it's nice to see like my collection grow and kind of change. Like I look at my collection as this like living, breathing thing where a game goes out and goes in and it's constantly changing, but we all buy games with intent to play them. Right. Or for them to be played. Even if we like, like I will like lend out games to certain people because I know it's getting played and that's kind of a nice thought, but collecting to me is only to have a lot of games that I'm going to play definitely yeah. um i was gonna i was laughing when you said suffer from collect collecting issues or something i don't suffer from collecting issues i enjoy collecting yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> no it's 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 kind of true though um no i collect a lot of board games i do definitely collect them to play them i have heard actually speaking of which you reminded me i've heard online like oh, or just on bgg or something i've heard people say I collect games just because I enjoy collecting them. I'm not even sure if I'm going to play them, but I just enjoy collecting them, which is kind of fascinating to me. So I think there's definitely this kind of like type of person who likes library, building a library of something, of stuff. I think it's kind of like a reason why people collect things like rocks or coins or something. There's nothing, anything intrinsically fun about rocks or coins, but they just collect them, which is, I think, some people with board games is like they just like collecting them and i'm kind of edging on being in that area but not really i think i really want to play all the games that i'm collecting i'm definitely yeah. not buying games just to have games like i'm buying games because i'm interested in playing them yeah you know if i ran like a convention and i was building a library for that that would be actually really fun for me to like buy try to think of like all different gamers and what games I should put in that library but since my library is my own personal collection I want to I want to collect to play and some people actually collect games almost like they're playing like a stock market game in itself you know so they could buy and sell <laughs> to resell yeah, yeah. and I've never been in a store base right right I've never been interested in that I, I don't know why it just is not appealing to me like I if I have a game that's worth a lot of money I go cool I have it and it's like no longer available I'm glad I got it not to sell it though but that's just me and i could yeah. understand if like people want to make it a, a side hustle that's fine yeah yeah collecting is definitely huge for some people yeah i definitely only buy games that i want to play but then at the same time i think i have a little bit of like collector in me um matt and i recently went through our collection to put some like in a box to take up with us to the next um the next salt con um for the to do the to sell them sorry um, game, game swap i think it's called the game swap, swap thank you yeah. yeah and like i realized i had a really hard time with it there these are these games that like i've said before that i hate that i'm never gonna play <laughs> but as but soon as i want to give them up exactly as soon as it came time to put them in the boxes like but what if this one circumstance happens where i want to play this game um so yeah, I had to really like try and shove that voice to the side. 
Yeah. No, when I buy games, it's very intentional. The article, by the way, was interesting to me as well uh, for multiple reasons. Uh, it said the guy was going on like eBay and just buying bundles of games just because of people selling them. And I think that's definitely not what I do when I buy. It's very like intentional oh, yeah, and researched. Yeah. Um, the other thing is the Guinness World Record is like 1,500 or something. I feel like that can easily be broken by some like people out there who have like basements huge wait 1500 or 15,000 no it's 1500 it's like really low so I was just kind of surprised that but I think the article said that like you have to pay for the Guinness World Records to be certified or something so maybe that's why it's not broken yet but I I feel like the world and like 1500 is a lot of games or 2000 or whatever the article said but it's like I don't know if it's worth writing a news article about it. I feel like a lot of people in the hobby, it's just kind of the type of hobby it is that you end up collecting a lot of games. And I think a lot of people could like easily, not easily, but like definitely match that and maybe have even more uh, people with like larger houses or people that do that all the time. Yeah, if I had larger space, I would have more games, but I I have to like do the one in one out kind of thing now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, to the outsider who doesn't know about this hobby, I think it would be like very fascinating for them to be like, wow, 2000 board games. I didn't even know they had 2000 board games, you know, where it's like, it's a very common thing within our hobby. So I think like the article, that article is not for us. Like it's not interesting to us. Like I read the whole thing and I was like, huh, 2000 games. Yeah. That's fine. I read the whole thing and I was like, I wonder if I know the guy, but I don't think I do because I think I know a guy who collects a lot, but it's not the same. I think I might have seen him at the shop before. Um, mm. But yeah, you know, I, 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 I was also, I was like 2000 games and seven wonders is your favorite game. That was a little kind of funny to me too. <laughs> yeah. But, I, a lot of it, actually what was most impressive to me is uh, a lot of them were like mass market games. And that's something I definitely don't think I can even bring myself to buy 2000 of or like older games like 80s uh, 70s 80s yeah which is kind of even more impressive I mean I'd say a lot of them are just kind of bad games which is why they haven't even registered on our radar but it's kind of a different collection in some ways actually yeah it seems like he was collecting to collect more than anything yeah and there were like in bins like stored away which is like <laughs> which puzzling is to really me bad. yeah yeah because yeah. like i i do like my collection like being in my house like i like walking into my home and seeing my shelves like it feels good to be surrounded by the thing a thing you love you know yeah yeah oh yes it does i work from home where my games are stored. I have a little chair and a table and that's where I do my work is surrounded by my board games. Yeah. And it brings like this consistent, um, pleasant thought, even if it's subconscious, right? Yeah. You just tend to get some crap from your zoom meetings. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you use them as background, that's kind of like the dice tower or something. Just like, Oh, hi. (laughs) Yeah. That is like racks of shelves with games. (laughs) That's pretty funny. All right. Anything else? Nope. That's it for me. All right. So that was our topic. So up next will be our top three filler games. Okay. uh, What's a filler game? Well, I think that most people use filler games in between bigger games to fill in the space. I also use them 
in the beginning of like a meetup when we're waiting for people to come in, those are great games to get to the table um, before anybody before the full amount gets there or at the end of the night to squeeze in one game. So the way I made line list is um, quicker games like between like 20 and 30 minutes or below and quick setup, quick breakdown and a quick teach. That's all what I like thought of when I made my list. Yeah, actually, I really don't like the word filler. I think it's kind of a disparaging word for games. Um, I've actually been thinking about that. Someone said in the last week or something, let's play a real game or something. I'm actually fine. Some people are not fine with this. I'm fine with like maybe even playing a full evening of so-called fillers or just shorter games. Um, I think they're just as fun for me as a longer game. A longer game is nice, but like I don't feel like I'm losing out or just like playing a lesser game if I'm playing a shorter game. So I just, uh, similar to Brandon, I just kind of focused on games with like a shorter playtime. Maybe like he was saying, um, not a lot of setup, not a lot of rules overhead. My games probably have maybe the most rules out of all of everyone's games just because I like, I guess that's why they're the top three because they have a little bit more going on. But in general, they're pretty simple games. So that's how I made my list. Um, I made my list basically the same way Brandon did. Um, one of my games has a little bit more rules to it um, than the others. But to me, yeah, a filler game is something that is fast to pull out, fast to teach, and fast to put away. So I might play it in between games or like at the end of the night when you have half an hour left, kind of those, they just fill in the extra space. Yeah, I do agree with Risto too. Like I, I actually like filler games and filler game has become sort of a bad word. Like, oh, it's just a filler game. Like it's just a filler game. Like we could put it over here, you know, and, and not think of it as a, as a good game. But a lot of these filler games um, have still depth to them. And even if there's simplistic rules, there's still a lot of like good, like thought process that happen and good decision um, conflict. And so like, yeah, I would play a full day of filler games happily. Um, all right. Well, let's get into it. Number three. All right, so my number three is possibly the only Scott Elms game that I enjoy, and it's called Starfall. It's from 2016 from Pandasaurus and IDW Games. It's a, a bidding set collection game, and on your turn, you have this like um, you have this little round board piece in the middle of you, and you have numbers that go from like nine to one, I believe. And you have these little circular tiles that fit on those numbers. And you have a little uh, score sheet and uh, player aid card in front of you that tells you these different like cosmic items that are going to be worth points to you at the end of the game. And you're paying for these items with stardust. And what you do on your turn is you could simply pull out one of these tiles that are going to have some of these cosmic items on them. And you have to put them in the largest number. So that would be nine. And that could be just your turn. If there's already three items out, you can't add anymore. So the other possible turns is making them lower on on the on the on the bidding uh, track. And you could jump over other ones. So if you're you have one on the nine, the eight, and the seven, you're going to move the nine to the six. 
And then the other thing is to buy t- uh, the tiles. Um, I found this game like super fun, super interesting, really quick and really simplistic. However, like there's some really great decisions to make because if you make the stuff lower, you're trying to make it to where you could afford it, but then that's your turn. So the next player can buy it. So you really have to like, look at what they are interested in. And if they're not really that interested in that tile, maybe that's when you push it down, but you're sort of like, uh, like playing a game of chicken, waiting for everybody else to lower these to the number that you want to buy, and then making sure that um, you could afford these. Because once you run out at of a, at a, at a Stardust, you're out of the game and you're living with the tiles in front of you. And I like the scoring. I like the weird uh, set collection. Every item has a different way of scoring. So I really enjoy this game. And that's my number three, Starfall. Do you have this game, by the way, Brandon? Or not? So the first time I played it was your copy. You showed it to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering if that's like the only time or not. No, and I, I um, we played it with our, our friend Nick, and Nick actually gifted it to me for Christmas. So I do own nice. it. Yeah, and I've played it since then. Nice. It's a cool game. Yeah, it's a really quick. Uh, they're called, I think, like Dutch auctions where the price falls and you buy it when the price is right <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it, it, it makes for really kind of tense decisions because you're like oh, I don't know if it's too low and someone's going to buy it even if it doesn't, if it doesn't work so, super well for them just because the price is really low um, it's quick game though and I think it's cool uh, so my number three is Majesty for the Realm uh, Majesty for the Realm is a quick kind of set collection game with some weird kind of engine uh, the engine is not very elaborate because it is a quick game it's like 20 to 40 minutes is what it's listed as uh, very very simple card river game uh, the card river is there and you can go higher by putting a, a thing on every card that you skip basically or you can get a card and uh, get the meeples actually is what you put on them now uh, there's also money economy I think uh, the money is basically points uh, and from what I can't remember actually I haven't played the game for a while unfortunately I really like it but it's kind of um, maybe difficult to get people excited to play it sometimes uh, there's an incentive to get there's different types of cards there's an incentive to get one of every card uh, for scoring and there's an incentive to building one larger row of cards and to make it interesting it's not just purely set collection the cards have powers which activate when you draft them so in addition to basically creating a scoring tableau of like different and same you're also doing these kind of lighter powers which kind of make the decision decisions interesting enough to me um it's by the designer of splendor by the way and barony so i think he's kind of uh i don't know if he's really famous for this but he really tries to make really streamlined kind of simple to the point games where there's not much going on that's very kind of distilled and this game is very distilled kind of set collection plus card powers with some slight engine stuff happening game. So that's Majesty for the Realm, number three. Um, so my f- uh, number three is Skull. And I had a hard time deciding whether I was going to add this to the list or not, because it could also maybe be called a party game. Um, so Skull is a game that plays, I 
I think up to six people. It's a really quick, easy game where you have in your hand four coasters. Three of those coasters have flowers on them, and one of those coasters has a skull. Basically, you're going around the table, and you put one of those down face down in front of you, and then someone can choose to open the auction and say that they can turn over some number of coasters without hitting a skull. Um, if you manage to turn that over, you get basically, you flip over a player piece in front of you to mark that you've done it once. You have to do it twice to win the game. Um, I just think it's an easy game to set up, an easy game to explain. Um, it's really fun. The whole time you're playing, it's way tense, especially when someone goes for a really high number to win the auction. Um, yeah, so number three is Skull. Yeah, I thought about Skull as well to put on my list because it is a it is a fun game, and it's a, I would definitely call it a filler game as well as maybe a party game, but yeah, I, I have fun with Skull. Yeah, I thought about it as well. To me, it's a little bit too simple, very fun though, definitely like pure pure bluffing um, game, but it's probably an honorable mention. Yeah, it's a cool Number two. All right, my number two is a game from 2007 uh, called Parade. Um, Parade is a simple card game. Um, Seems probably simple to us but i feel like every time i explain this game to somebody that doesn't play a lot of games it's like goes way over their head uh but you're just like getting cards in certain ways there's like a parade happening and it's uh was not wizard of oz it's uh alice in wonderland alice in wonderland yeah yeah and you're putting out some cards and getting cards in front of you kind of set collection-esque um but you have to have the majority of them to score it's actually been a while since I played this game. I just played it last week. You have to have the majority to score the least, and you want the least points. Because That's right. if you don't have majority, they score the numbers. If you do have majority, they're one each. So it's yeah, much I, less of a painful thing. Yeah, you're you're trying to you're trying not to get cards. That would be the the best way to play the game is not to have any cards in front of you. But good luck with that. That's probably not happening. So you're w- trying to win majorities, yeah, to get the lowest score out of them. Um, oh, there is almost n- no way to get cards in front of you, actually, because at the end of the game, you have two cards and you discard yep. one and you have to keep one. So, yeah, that could be a thing. Um, yeah, it's very simple to set up, teach, break down, play. And that's why it's in my number two, Parade. I didn't realize this game was so old, 2007. Yep. Yeah, I honestly thought it came out like a few years back, but oh. Yeah, it's been out for a while, and actually, I think I maybe introduced it to the group, and it was like four years ago. So maybe that's why you have the impression that it's newer. But I knew it was around, and it was like a kind of a top tier card game. Um, it's just that I think we probably got introduced to it a little bit later. Yeah. Actually, I've played Parade like three times on tabletop with some people kind of as, like you say, a filler game or something, like at the end of the night, basically when everyone's kind of tired and don't, doesn't want to play like a large game. And it works well. It's an awesome game. Yeah. It has some luck, but it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my number two is actually Clans. Um 
it got reprinted recently. Actually, I just remembered that. And I, uh, oh, Fey. Fey is what it's called uh, now. It's basically the, exactly the same game. They changed the theme. It used to be about the formation of uh, villages from in the prehistoric era when people got together and kind of started living together as opposed to kind of scattered. That's like the loose theme of it. I think the theme of Fae is something like forest creatures, and I don't know. It's like fantasy theme. Um, I actually like kind of the older version better in terms of maybe even art. I think it's a little bit too like colorful, the new one. Um, I don't know if you guys have even played it, but it's like a very kind of straightforward game where the board starts... Uh, with all kinds of colors uh, scattered all over the place in territories. And basically the whole game you do these merging moves. There's some uh, rules to prevent basically the whole board being merged into one territory. So you kind of have to stop at a certain time and kind of found a city or whatever. But basically the whole game is kind of... uh, You don't know what color the other people are you have a color assigned to you, one of five, I think, on the board, so the game goes up to five. So someone has a secret color that they're trying to score the most of the whole game, Um, and you're supposed to kind of figure it out by the moves that they do throughout the game, what color they're trying to push, because you basically score all colors, pretending that everyone has all colors, and at the end of the game, you kind of reveal, oh, I actually had this color, and see who actually won. Um, so the game is kind of very kind of abstract. Like I say, it's basically combining your move is kind of usually combine uh, color into a bunch of colors. Uh, there's some interesting rules though. So like there's conflict if you have the most of a color or something. If I remember correctly, uh, basically there's some really uh, rules to make it kind of really fascinating and interesting and not simple as far as decisions go. Uh, but it's a quick playing game. It plays five just fine. I think it plays two just fine. Actually, I think two would be probably a very kind of a strategic game, whereas five, there's a little bit of chaos, but it's fine in that game for how short it is. Uh, kind of a quick game of kind of establishing these like area majorities in a weird way. Um, I kind of recommend it a lot, and Clans, or the reprint Fae, F-A-E. I think you cannot get Clans anymore. I got, like, a really old copy, actually, from Greece, and, like, it's really, it was really crazy, uh, for actually reasonably cheap, but Fae is the new version, and it's the identical game, only the art and the figures are different. I have played this game once before, and I remember during gameplay i was just like how the heck are you supposed to play and win this game and then when we finished i kind of like understood afterward (laughs) but then i never (laughs) played it again the best uh by the way i just looked it up it's by leo colovini who used to be kind of a he who used to actually make a lot of games he's slowed down a lot in the 2000s he published like a lot of games and a lot of them are really bad um, so it's almost like it was almost like a running joke that it's a Leo Colovini game but I think Clans is actually one of his better ones um, so my number two is Blueprints so in Blueprints it's a dice drafting game um, 
you have behind your screen like a secret blueprint that you're trying to build. There are some constraints about um, what kind of dice can go on top of other dice. And then there are points for different kinds of dice. The different colors, they just represent different things. Um, the theme's not really all that important. Mostly you're just building a tower out of dice. Um, it's a super simple game. It plays over three rounds. Um, the point scoring, I feel like, is pretty self-explanatory. Some people have a hard time with um, each round is scored separately, and then you get like first, second, and third place for each round, which is worth a separate number of points at the end of the game. Um, but other than that, it's just a really fun, simple, quick game to play, um, easy to pull out, um, easy to put away, easy to teach, and you can kind of go with a whole bunch of different strategies. Um, you can either make your blueprint or try and go for these crazy extra point cards like using dice with pips one through six or only using sixes. So there's lots of cool strategy. This game for me was easy to get rid of. Um, I had bought in this game and I just like, I, I absolutely hated it, man. Um, I could see how people would think it's fun, but the drafting dice was really rough for me because I would build on these blueprints. And if I never saw that dice and I can't like fulfill my blueprints, I get nothing, absolutely nothing, not even anything for trying. And that was just like maybe a good example of like too many constraints. I don't know. There wasn't a lot of constraints. It's just like really lucky and random for me. Yeah. I yeah. can see how it would be frustrating. I actually knew you were going to say something about it because we had a long conversation with Brandon about how basically with very few changes the game could be improved. Uh, maybe something like flipping tokens or reroll tokens or something to like basically Yeah, to mitigate the luck. Yep. Yeah. I, I was, yeah, that would be a cool expansion. Yeah, I was going on like um, a hate rant from that game for like a week. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I, I like that was like a game that I was like trying to redesign in my head for some reason because I, I thought the concept yeah. was cool. It just like didn't work in practice for me. Yeah, you can just kind of, while playing the game, at least I could see just kind of like the luck. Like you could just see it and it's kind of like, okay, well, that's that's how it is. That's how the game And you can kind of see because of other games you've played how it might be different. That's, I think, why we were both doing it in our head probably. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Number one. All right, my number one is a 2014 Kiesling and Kramer card game from Ravensburger called Linko. Linko is a little bit hard to describe just with my voice. Like, I think you have to like see the game, but it's sort of very slightly trick-taking, very much shedding, and uh, not almost climbing too but it's very like weird game in general in fact if you played a climbing game a shedding game um or a trick-taking game it actually might confuse you because you play a card you play card or cards down they have to be the same number and then you evaluate the whole table and first you check if you have the same exact number of cards down then you check your opponents if they have the same exact and then if yours that were played were higher than, then you have an opportunity to take them. 
And if you don't take them, then they have an opportunity to put them back in their hand or discard them. Then they have to pull from um, six cards that are out to put into their hand. Um, The person who goes out first will stop the game. And then the score will be one point per card down in front of you and one minus point for cards in your hand. Um, this is a game that gets played a lot in our group. I think I just recently checked and I've played it 40 times, which is like pretty crazy for like, because of like how uh, the amount of like newer games that I play and just different games. So that's why like, it had to be my number one. It's one of those games that we like, I feel like we're, we play almost, almost every gaming night. It's always in my bag. And if we have like, you know, and it's like, it could be like a couple of minutes. It could be like five to nine minutes. Um, so we usually play like multiple games. But it is uh, tremendously fun and like one of my favorite like card games in general, but definitely my favorite filler, and that's Linko. And I think it's Justine's number one as well, right? Yeah, it's my number one. And I was just going to add, I think my favorite thing about this game is how the strategy of it has evolved as we've played it over and over again. Like, I think in the... F- beginning at least for me it was just about getting all of your cards down as fast as possible but now there are times where you actually want to get your cards snatched because there are cards in the middle that you want to take as a replacement Um, and so people are trying to duck snatching your cards it's kind of a fun tug and tug of war almost yeah no that's a great point um because yeah i figured out that if i if i put down like a one in the beginning of the game somebody's gonna snatch it and i could grab a card and make like you know like say i have like two fives and and there's a five down on the table then i could get snatched and grab a five now i have three fives which is going to make it a little more powerful and then when everybody started figuring out that strategy everybody like it's like a game of chicken like everybody nobody wants to snatch each other so it's progressively gotten better as we've gotten better at the game because like everybody's kind of like freezing and not trying to take cards or not trying to yeah not trying to uh, take cards and you're trying to play cards but you're trying to get if you get a lot of cards in your hand and you're able to put them down you could score way more points because if you go out very quickly uh, you might not win because other people have been building upon their like tableau um, in front of them. So it's this balance of like, I want to get more cards down, but I also want to want to end the game at the right time. And to be able to control that has been really fascinating. Yeah, I like uh, Linko actually. I don't know if it's above other games like Parade for me. I think it's on the same level. I think what makes it kind of fun is everyone knows how to play it now and it's like a quick game and it should always have been a quick game but uh, when you learn games like that or a Parade or whatever, I think the first game kind of takes longer. Um, same same thing as any card game really, like Peep Mutts, Hats, whatever. And I think the benefit is everyone has played it so much now that we can just play and we can, we can play very quickly. Yeah. So I think that's kind of fun for, for, for Linko. Uh, my number one is actually Magic Maze, and that game has some rules overhead, so I don't know if it's like technically a filler, um, whatever, it's filler enough for me. So Magic Maze is a real-time game, it's co-op real-time, um, and I feel like you can play it very quickly, and the rules, so once someone knows the rules, they can explain them very quickly as well, so it should be pretty quick to start. 
Um, it's a game where it's an amusing theme where uh, adventurers have had their equipment, I think, stolen from them, or basically they just don't have equipment, and they're going to this through this mall and trying to get or steal their equipment from store this place. Um, so they're trying to get to the stores and break the the window or whatever of the store, uh, the display of the store, and steal their equipment, which triggers an alarm, and then they're trying to escape them all. So it's kind of like a weird... Uh, basically, it's a maze-building game. That's why it's called Magic Maze. Um, the real-time aspect of it is very interesting uh, because you play and you're only responsible for moving people in a direction or to put out tiles, basically. So you kind of play silently. Um, you are not allowed to really talk other than these pauses in the middle of the game, which makes the game interesting and frustrating as well. It's one of those games where you kind of want to explode in someone's face, but you can't, kind of like a nabi. <laughs> and you have to wait. You have to wait for the timer flip to do that. Um, but like I say, uh, well, probably the best real-time game for me personally uh, the earlier you can play the game kind of modularly, uh, the earlier ways to play the game are way more fillery than the later ways to play the game. Uh, later meaning you can add more elements, kind of like security cameras, roaming guards, uh, people can only go through certain like spaces, so all kinds of like asymmetric powers for the adventurers that go around the board. Uh, so... Uh, you can kind of play the game very simply, or if you're really good at it, you can kind of take it to a level where there's a lot of stuff going on and a lot of stuff to consider. Uh, it's prone to some luck, but it's it's co-op, so whatever, and it's over quickly if you uh, lose. So it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, that's Magic Maze. Yeah, I don't know if I like this game. Like, I really liked the concept of it, and uh, and it was fun the first time we played it, but. As I played it, that pawn, you have that pawn that you tap in front of somebody. If you That's the only way you could communicate with them is like, you're supposed to do something, tap, tap, tap. And I find it like if somebody's tapping at me, that's not going to help me think about what I have to do. That's like distracting yeah. me. Um, but uh, I think it was like, I think it, it progressively gets harder, and I think I need to play yes. the harder the harder stuff because the, well, the other ones were too simp simplistic. Yeah, also I was going to say is it doesn't necessarily get harder. It sometimes yeah, it kind of does get harder, but the the way it progresses is you get some kind of a downside, so like cameras or something. However, you can solve that using some kind of tool. So it's usually kind of like this is the difficulty and this is the additional cool stuff you can do. Yeah. So I think camera is basically like the barbarian or whoever can like smash them. So it's just kind of like another thing to consider, which is more difficult, but it's not like, yeah, it is more difficult actually. It Have you kind played of with the expansion maximum security? I, think it's called. I haven't played with the expansion, but actually one of the most fun salt con experiences I've ever had was like, playing the base game basically from level one to like the end pretty much what? i haven't played the it gets it gets really really weird uh there's like uh basically once you add all the elements there's even more difficult stuff for example one of them is like you build two mazes and they're disconnected so you have to like there's some really just strange stuff uh, the other one is uh you cannot talk at all ever 
not even in the breaks. So it just kind of like once you add all the gameplay elements, there's like social things that start happening or just weird things that start happening. So we played until we added all the elements, basically. Uh, it was like an hour and a half of straight magic maze. So it was a lot of fun. To your point, I think that thing where you slam in front of people is actually really counterproductive. I think you should play until basically everyone knows what to do. Because it should be, it shouldn't be necessary to like communicate at all. I think like just lifting off the thing, uh, the reminder piece or whatever, and slamming it in some in front of someone is kind of a waste of time. <laughs> like you should be kind of focusing on what you can do in the game, you know, uh, rather than worrying about what other people can do. Right, right, yeah. There's also a Magic Maze for Kids that came out, and coming out, there's one uh, that's on Mars. So that's kind yeah. of going to be interesting. Looks like they changed the gameplay just slightly, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's an excellent game. I I do like real-time games. They're kind of different, and I'm not sure if everyone likes them as much as I do, but I like Space Alert as well, and there's a game called Zombie 15, which I need to play, which is real-time. Like a lot of... I like real-time games. I think it's a fascinating idea. Fuse as well. Fuse I like a lot. I don't know if other people do. So yeah, they're kind of kind of a different aspect of board gaming. Yeah. Um, all right. So, do you guys have any honorable mentions? Uh, yeah. I was gonna say again, going with the category of a filler game. Uh, I guess chess is a filler. Ah, technically. No, I mean a lot of abstract games are technically fillers, so to speak, because you can play them very quickly. And actually, Clans is a little bit abstract, but I was thinking, like, I went through a lot of titles, like uh, Deluva, Mandala, Hive, Pastali, Shobu, Backgammon. They're all playable very quickly, uh, but you can, like, they're really kind of deep games. They're just kind of over quickly, and that's, like, basically all abstract games. That's... And I completely just didn't put any abstracts because, again, I'd have to put them as a category, maybe. Um, another game which is kind of hilarious that it could be classified as a filler is Race for the Galaxy, which is one of my favorite games. I just didn't want to put it on the list. But once you... The first game is not going to be short. Once you know how to play the game, I'm pretty sure you can knock out the game in like 20 minutes, no problem. Um... I also had a lot of kind of really fun games where I was on the edge of putting them on, but I feel like they're just a little bit light for what I wanted the list to be. Um, the list is six nymphs. I really like it. Uh, kind of simple. Battleship, also really cool. Kind of pretty much abstract game. Uh, very simple. Indigo was actually pretty close. I almost put that on my list. As well as Cartagena or whatever, or Cartagena. I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, we only played it once, the symbol matching game with the Pirates. Karuba is an awesome game. The rules overhead in that one and the setup time, I feel like, take it out of the filler category just slightly. Um, it's That's just two players game. too, right? Karuba is not two players. Karuba is four. Oh, I'm thinking uh, of something else. But you have to like arrange the tiles by number there's a lot of tiles stuff happening so i feel like you're gonna spend like 10 minutes just setting up the game uh, another very short list game i really like is the saboteur or saboteur 2 um, that's a game where you probably want more people you want like six seven or eight and it's a card game but it's a, another maze building game you're trying to connect to the gold 
uh, but there's hidden roles. The dwarves want to connect to the gold, but there's other people with different um, kind of roles and interests. So you're trying to build a maze, but people might screw you up because of their incentives. So you kind of, by the end of the game, usually you will find out who is what, and or you reveal and score differently based on what you were. Uh, we haven't played it, actually. I've played it online a bunch. Cool game, but yeah. You know, I actually I have that game. I have it. Um, Saboteur? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. an awesome game. Um, I would not recommend it with less than seven. Less than seven, the game is not good. And that's why we, also, haven't, that's why we haven't played it. I've brought it, but it was, I think we've, there's just been like three or four players and you were, you were strongly suggesting that we don't play it. So y- Yes, yeah. I think three or four is a complete disaster. You want seven. And actually, with the base game, you also want, I think, a variant where... The basically the game is really skewed towards dwarves because there's like five dwarves and two bad people, two saboteurs or something. So a lot of people, especially online, I've argued, I've been in arguments about this. They play it as a co-op game, and as a co-op game, there is very like you're pretty much guaranteed to lose as a saboteur. So there's a rule which kind of slightly improves the competition within dwarves because you want to be the first who connects to the gold. Um, otherwise, I think the game doesn't work as well because it, like, basically it's kind of like you get dealt a random roll and you play three rounds. And if you're like saboteur two times, I think you've lost the game just because of if people play it as a co-op because it's, yeah, it's very skewed towards dwarves. Got it. But it's a cool game. I was Kahuna I was thinking of, not Karuba. Kahuna, the, the two-player game. Kahuna is an awesome game as well. Jaipur, Kahuna, those are kind of in the filler category again. Maybe a little bit too light for what I wanted to play on there, but Kahuna is really cool. I like that game. Justine, you have any honorable mentions? Um, So this one I struggled with whether to put on my list or not. Um because I don't know, again, like whether it's filler or more party game, but I was thinking like Zendo. Um, I think that's just a really fun deduction game. I think that's awesome, actually, for filler. So yeah, games. Yeah, you know what? Um, I completely forgot about this game. Uh, Zendo, I've actually said, is the perfect like euro not euro it's like the (laughs) it's the perfect filler like the perfect thinky filler like it's a filler for like euro game type people because it's so thinky in fact it's so thinky that i had a friend that just refused to play it he's like it hurts my brain to play this game i'm not playing it anymore (laughs) um gosh yeah that that would have like been probably like my number one so scratch my list Starfall falls off, one. and my real number one is uh, Zendo. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Zendo's way fun. Yeah. Uh, do you have any more? Uh, that was the only one I can think of for honorable mentions. I have some. I, so, Cartographers. I think that's a it's a great uh, flip and write game. Um, Forgot about that one. Clask. In fact, I've I'm I I didn't include it in the list because it's more like dexterity game, but. I've yeah. I've used it and I've seen it used as a filler game. Like even people like we're trying to decide a game and you have class, you like play that real quick. Um, so that works really well. Um, it's a wonderful world, which doesn't look like a filler game. It's like a regular size box, but um, it's very short and it's really easy to explain. The setup is relatively easy as well. 
And I enjoyed this game because after I played it, I realized, oh, I use this as a filler game. And as soon as I like realized that, I liked it even more. Also, No Thanks, just a classic, like fun, quick game. And I would say a lot of Oink games in general, just like Oink games, yeah. I think they, yeah. they produce a lot of I good filler games. Oink. I had some Oink games as shortlist as well. They're... Yeah, I think Oink games are great for filler. Um, yeah. So that's our show. So thank you for tuning in. And uh, you can visit us on social media, Cards and Cubes. You can visit our website. That's cardsandcubes.com. We'd like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing the theme. Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. You could see her art on Instagram at catcoffee. That's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E. Cards and Cubes is a production of Pod Cauldron. You can find other great podcasts on the Pod Cauldron Network, including Bub Club, a horror movie podcast, and Rabble, 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 which is a comedic look at current events. And we'd like to thank you again for listening, and you can join us in a couple weeks. Thanks.